Star Wars 7x7 episode 3219. We are continuing our series of looks back at season 3 of The Mandalorian and even if you enjoyed the season for the most part, as I did and I have a feeling as you did too, there are also some things that were particularly frustrating or confusing about the season and so we're going to talk about those things today. Punch it! Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy. And thank you so much for joining me for it. So I may just be speaking for myself, but I don't think I am in terms of some of the things that we're going to bring up on today's episode. I don't think that there's going to be any controversial hot takes in here or anything like that. I think this is all pretty straightforward stuff. And for a start, let's just talk about season through lines. And this is in comparison to season one and season two of The Mandalorian. So those first two seasons had a you know, very compelling and definitive through line. Season one was about what happens when The Mandalorian decides to defy the bounty hunting guild because of what they've asked him to do. Season two had sort of a two-pronged through line. One of them was for the Mandalorian to reconnect with his covert and other Mandalorians, and the other prong was to deliver Grogu to his own kind, namely the Jedi. But then, of course, season 2.5 of The Mandalorian, aka The Book of Boba Fett, undid <laughs> those outcomes because Grogu left Luke Skywalker, and even though The Mandalorian found his covert, he was rejected because he had taken off his helmet. So as presented to us, season three was supposed to be about the Mandalorian achieving redemption for himself by bathing in the living waters underneath the mines of Mandalore and getting right with his covert. Well, that was done <laughs> at the end of episode two, as we've talked about. And so that didn't really leave him much to do in terms of his journey for the rest of the season. And he was subsequently sidelined as a result. So that was a bit frustrating, you know, especially when there wasn't necessarily any other journey that he had to go through over the course of the season. Yes, he had other, you know, developments as we talked about on a previous episode, but it is also sort of a, a trade-off situation because we got a lot more of Bo-Katan's journey as a result. And as I said... <laughs> <laughs> at the top of this episode, there were a lot of things that were awesome about the season, and Bo-Katan's journey was certainly part of that. Speaking of Bo-Katan, another frustration I had with season three of The Mandalorian had to do with how easily she got the Darksaber back in her possession. The way they ended things with season two, there was going to have to be some sort of showdown between The Mandalorian and Bo-Katan in order for that Darksaber to come into her possession. That season ending created a ton of potential for friction and conflict, and it certainly seemed at the beginning of season three like there was going to be a continuation of that. Bo-Katan was in just such a terrible dark place at the beginning of the season, but because of the fact that the Mandalorian had no aspirations for the throne of Mandalore whatsoever, there's basically no opportunity for conflict, even though you know, there could have been, should have been. So although Bo-Katan does get the Darksaber in a way that is, you know, legitimate and logical and defensible, there's definitely a comparative lack of satisfaction that came from the way that she got it. it you know, almost felt like it was on a technicality of sorts. I'm not saying that she didn't deserve it. I'm not saying that she didn't earn it. I'm just saying that from the creative narrative possibilities that they set up, this was not necessarily the most satisfying conclusion of that particular arc. 
Another particularly you know, frustrating or confusing thing about the season had to do with the fate of Dr. Pershing, who was shown in this new amnesty program and then tricked by Elliot Kane into a scenario where he would be arrested by the New Republic and then set up so that Elia could totally mind flay him. But why? Why would she do that? And if she was operating on Moff Gideon's orders, which it seems like she was, then why was he deciding to have Dr. Pershing mind flayed? Especially since he was still working on his cloning situation, unless he seemed to get them working or thought he got them working. But we don't know for sure that they were actually working the way that they were supposed to do. What we had heard back in Season 2 was that the clones Dr. Pershing was working on showed promising signs for a couple of weeks and then just utterly you know, melted down, basically. And the clones that we saw at the end of Season 3 were still in the tank. As far as we knew, they hadn't been operational. And we know that they have to get through a couple of weeks to be considered viable potentially. So it was really confusing to see Dr. Pershing taken out of the picture and then, you know, no longer addressed. And for Moff Gideon to say, oh, you know, his research is lost for the moment to the Shadow Council, but to not have any resolution about that, you know, yeah, that was definitely unusual. And speaking of the cloning thing, Moff Gideon's clones were disposed of just so quickly. We never got to see them in action <laughs> any kind. Even if they were not going to prove viable, as we found out from Pershing with the previous batch, that they would be viable for at least a little while. So can you imagine seeing a bunch of Moff Gideons coming out of those cloning tanks and actually having some sort of force ability? That would have been absolutely crazy. But not only did we not get to see it, we also got to see Moff Gideon's base get entirely destroyed. Moff Gideon himself presumed dead, but probably not. Knowing him, he may yet have another cloning facility, but you know, he's lost what appeared to be his main base, and he's also lost access to Dr. Pershing. So suddenly this whole cloning business is not really a viable line. <laughs> no pun intended. I mean, it just feels like something that was built up for us to actually potentially be a problem for our heroes, and it never really came to fruition. Then there's the issue of Chapter 23's title, The Spies, and we still don't know who any other spy is. We know Elliot Kane is one of those spies, but we don't know who the other one is. And it had the internet going wild with rampant speculation about who the other spy might be, going so far as to say the armor was going to turn out to be a double agent. And no, that didn't turn out to be the case. So we still have no idea who the second spy is. The only other solution that could present itself at this point, if we have already seen a spy on screen, is R5-D4, who was able to tell Carson Teva where the Mandalorian covert was hiding out. So what could the creators of the Mandalorian have done to alleviate or mitigate some of these concerns? Well, one of them would have been focusing on the through line more directly. So 
The fact that the Mandalorian had to become redeemed, that would have been one particular storyline, and we could have supported a second storyline, which would have been Bo-Katan being redeemed in her own right and returning to Mandalore triumphant. Now, they did that with Bo-Katan because she starts from that very dark and abandoned place at the beginning of the season to arriving at the end as the new leader of Mandalore and having reunited multiple actions within the Mandalorian culture, but the Mandalorian's own journey did not parallel that at all. He was just done, as we said, and so there wasn't really anything for him to do. So if they had extended his journey or broke it up in parts so that way it went along with the season, that probably would have gone a long way toward making it feel more satisfactory. And then instead of giving us all of the Elliot Kane, Dr. Pershing story in one episode, if they had broken that up across a couple of episodes, that would have been great. If they'd given us a little more time with Moff Gideon and sooner in the season, that would have helped. Maybe shown us more about the interaction between Moff Gideon and Elliot Kane and the pirate Gorian Shard. Those are the primary scenarios that jump out in terms of thinking about a way that the season could be reorganized and have a little connective tissue added to have made it feel more cohesive and like it had a compelling through line for our title character to ultimately you know, create a more satisfying season. Again, not that there weren't delightful things about the season, and tomorrow we're going to talk about some things that were particularly awesome about the season that we haven't really talked about yet in detail, but yeah, in some places we have. Anyway, but we'll get them all together in one place. For now, though, that is going to do it for this episode of the podcast, and it just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for it, as always, and may the Force be with you wherever in the world you may be. 7x7 is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, other respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.